A lot of times when we approach Scripture, we tend to do so as if it's a Marvel movie with clear villains and heroes and this clear line between good and evil and and saints and sinners. But as we've been walking through this series called Broken Heroes, we've been discovering that every single person in the Bible, men, women, child, it, it doesn't matter. They are all flesh and blood. They all struggled. They all wrestled and they all deeply needed God's grace each and every day. And so what that does is it kind of eliminates uh, the gap between them and us, and we see ourselves in them. They're not these ancient Captain Americas who had this special super soldier serum that that enables them to, to fly head and shoulders above the rest of us, but in fact, they are human. They are like us. So today we're going to talk about David's passive parenting, but before we do that, let's turn to the Lord in a word of prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the people in the Bible, God, because in them we find hope for ourselves. We thank you for your love and your mercy. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts today through your Holy Spirit, through your word. And God, may the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. David's passive parenting. I don't know about you, but when I think of David from the Bible, the number of images come to mind, right? He's, he's famous for a number of things. I think of maybe David and Goliath, the ultimate underdog story where this little shepherd boy defeats the, the giant. Or I envision David on his throne, right? He ruled over Israel for many, many years. He was this kind of conquering military hero. Or, or maybe you picture an image like this. David played his harp. He was musically talented. He wrote the book of Psalms and this book of, of praise and worship choruses to the Lord. He wrote much of that. The Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. And the Israelites saw him as someone who was loyal to Yahweh, kind of the, the pinnacle of the Israelite monarchy. David was a man after God's own heart, right? And that is high praise. If you know anything about the story of David, though, you'll know that oftentimes he chased after the desires of his own heart as well. He made a lot of bad decisions that messed up his family for generations afterwards. David was a passive parent, and let me clarify, when I talk about David being a passive parent, here's, here's what I mean with that. I mean that he failed to take action in the lives of his kids when he should have, whether it was correction or guidance or wisdom or, or grace or whatever was needed, he failed to act. He failed to, to stay connected with his kids like in the, the, the really difficult moments, right, when you had to have these, these tough conversations, he kind of just uh, avoided that. So whether you call this passive parenting or permissive parenting or neglectful parenting, someone else can clarify those terms. I don't know. But the consequences of David's choices were terrible. So here's a snapshot. First off, we have to remember that King David had over eight wives, uh, insert joke about husband and wife something here. You can fill that in. Um, David had eight wives, over, the, over eight wives, so he had a lot of kids from many different marriages. 
His firstborn son was this guy named Amnon, Amnon, and his thirdborn son was a guy by the name of Absalom. Now, he had many others, but these are the two that he had the most trouble with, right? You've all, all your parents out there, you've all got your problem child, right? On the count of three, let's all just point to them. Can we do that? No? Okay, we'll do that a different day. Um, right, so, so he had Absalom and he had Amnon. And in 2 Samuel 13, there's this sickening story about Amnon and Tamar. Tamar was Amnon's stepsister and the biological sister of Absalom. Amnon lusted after Tamar and violated her and brought shame on the family. And this whole story ends up in tears with Tamar's purity stolen and her reputation just like forever sullied with shame. And when Absalom, who was her real brother, finds out about it, understandably, he's really, really angry, like he's fuming mad. But instead of going after him right away and and getting revenge on Amnon, he waits two years. He bides his time until the opportune moment presents itself. And when it does, he has Amnon killed. And from there, it's just a, a downward spiral Absalom flees from his father, David. There's this whole father-son rivalry thing. We'll talk about it a little bit next week as well because we'll be focusing on Absalom next week. But there's this, this rivalry between dad and son where Absalom betrays his, his dad and claims the kingship for himself. All-out war ends up resulting. And uh, it's just this terrible, really hard-to-watch thing unfold. And it eventually ends up with Absalom being killed on the battlefield in a scene which I will not describe for you, but it's not intended for children's sermons. I'll I'll say that much. He he dies in this very horrible way. There's a lot going on in David's story, but but what I want us to to focus on, I want to zoom in on just one verse in particular, right? 2 Samuel 13, 21. Now, this is King David's response when he hears what Amnon has done to Tamar, this terrible sin that he has committed. Now, some of your Bibles, if you follow this this note and you look at 1321, there may be a footnote in your Bible because the Septuagint, which is a fancy word, it just means the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was the version of the Old Testament that the New Testament authors cited most frequently. It includes an addition to that. It expands upon it. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the verse then as well as the part that's written in the Septuagint. So here it is. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry, but he would not punish his son Amnon because he loved him since he was his firstborn. Just to be crystal clear here, David discovered that Amnon committed incest, a sexual assault, actually, against his stepsister, and David did nothing. Didn't do anything. No punishment for Amnon, no protection for Tamar. He just flat out failed to act. And the consequences were drastic death, broken relationships, a kingdom divided. Increased insecurity on and on and on and on. This is passive parenting playing out like at its, its most extreme, right? 
Now, before we continue, I have an important clarification to make because I know a lot of you have been asking me about this, and I just want to respond to it. So if we could go to the next slide, I think it's important for you to, to recognize uh, this. Um, I am not Dr. Phil. I am not a licensed family therapist. I am not a psychologist. I am your pastor. It's not my job to tell you how to parent your kids. If you want to know how to parent your kids, you can talk to Sam Larson. I think he's working on a parenting book. Uh, So you can, I don't know, pick his brain a little bit or something. Um, But I mean, praise the Lord that it's not my job to tell you how to raise your kids uh, because I'm just four years into this whole parenting gig and I do not have it figured out. You can ask my kids. It's my job as your pastor to preach God's word, the law and the gospel, to let the Holy Spirit do his work in your hearts, right? Is that clear? Is that crystal clear here? And so if you don't like what I'm about to say, you can always email me at luke.fiskness at gmail.com. That's luke.fiskness at gmail.com. Okay, so here's a diagram that I found helpful. I'm thinking about parenting. It describes a number of different parenting styles. So I want you to kind of look at this and read through some of the descriptions. Maybe put a mental dot at where you feel like you tend to land as far as the the way you parented. And maybe put a mental dot as well on the way that your parents tended to to parent you. And just to be clear, there are ditches we can fall into in, in all sorts of different ways. We can fall into the ditch of being overly authoritative right? Kind of like a a disciplinarian and nothing more. But that's not what we're talking about today. Today we're more on the left-hand side of the spectrum, the permissive and neglectful side, because that's what we're talking about. That was King David's struggle. So why is passive parenting so dangerous? Why is it a hazard to fail to actively guide the lives of our children? Well, we can answer this in two different ways. First off, practically, right? God has given us wisdom. He's inscribed His law on our hearts. And so from just a human point of view, we can give a response. And then also theologically, biblically, there is a response too. So practically speaking, uh, when parents don't set boundaries early on, kids won't know how to respond later in life when someone tells them no, right? They won't learn how to have tough conversations, how to work through disagreements. They won't learn personal responsibility or self-control. They won't learn how to resolve conflict. And overall, like the world revolves around me becomes their default operating system. That's kind of the practical side. Theologically, though, biblically speaking, passive parenting is dangerous because it's disobedience to God's commands. Passive parenting, at least in in the way that I've defined it, is never an option left open to followers of Jesus. It shouldn't even be on the table. Again and again, Scripture affirms the importance of active versus passive parenting. And really, I think the best way to do this is just to read through a few different passages to give you a flavor for it. So listen to a few of these. Proverbs 1, 8 through 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, I, I really love this one. I read it a lot of times during confirmation. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Right, This kind of active teaching role that's supposed to continue beyond church. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Proverbs 29, 17, Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. See, all godly parental instruction is about being active, intentional, and involved in the lives of our kids. But here's a fear that I have, though, and I know I'm not the only one because I've spoken with many others and they have said the same thing, right? So this question kind of comes up in our minds. Right, like, right, discipline, all that, good, but I don't want to lose them. I don't want to lose them. I don't want to unnecessarily jeopardize the relationship. I'm worried that if I push my kids too hard, if I discipline and correct them, or I say no, I'm just going to push them further away that I'll never be able to have a relationship with them. So I don't even want to risk it. Does this sound familiar? Heard this before? Struggle with this? I struggle with it. I know I do. I'm going to give you some hard law this morning, good third use of the law, practical application kind of stuff. And as I do this, please keep in mind that I'm speaking to myself as well. So here we go. You ready? Number one, as pious as this sounds, and I don't want to push my kids away, it's actually based on fear, and fear never comes from God. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So where fear is present, that's not from God. Number two, you are not your kid's mom or dad. God is. To remind myself of this over and over again, that my kids, they have a heavenly father, and it's not me. I get to take care of them for a time, but it's only temporary. So what would it like, what would it look like for us to entrust our kids' ultimate care to their true Heavenly Father? Number three, as Christian parents, your primary role in the lives of your kids is father or mother, not best friend. And they need that desperately. They need that desperately God has called you specifically, it's not an accident that you're a parent, to faithfully shepherd them and steward them, and it's okay and good and godly to stand tall in that role. To affirm your God-given vocation as father and mother. And finally, number four, being nice is not the same thing as being loving. Being nice is not the same thing as being loving. We treat niceness in our day and age as a kind of gold standard. And we think, well, as long as we're free from conflict 
and my kid is happy and feeling good and that self-esteem is up there, I must be doing something right. But sometimes, I don't know if you've noticed this to be true in your own life, it's certainly true in mine, the most loving things actually cause the most pain. We shouldn't judge our success or failures as parents based on how pain-free our relationship with our kids is at any given moment. Passive parenting, what David did, we saw this play out. Sure, it avoids conflict in the short term, but in the long term it creates way more pain, way more division, because sin is not being addressed. You're actually more likely to jeopardize your relationship by doing nothing. So that's the law. Let's talk gospel. And let's do this by asking the question, how does God parent us? How does God parent us? The Bible says that we as Christians, as the believing church, are His beloved sons and daughters. We have this relationship with our Heavenly Father. So how does our Heavenly Father parent us? Well, I love what the large catechism we use in confirmation class. You've seen that little red book, right? That's the small catechism. The large catechism is a little bit bigger, and it's got a lot of really good stuff in it. And I love what Luther says about it like, like this. Right here, he says, I am a creature of God. That is, he has given and constantly preserves my body, soul, and life, members great and small, all my senses, reason and understanding, and so on, food and drink, clothing and support, wife and children, domestics, house and home, etc. This is God our Heavenly Father. This is how He treats us. So first of all, then, we have a God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and rich in love, and He longs to fill us with all good things. Like He genuinely desires what's best for us and our well-being. We don't have to do something extra for Him to love us because He is loving by nature and wants to provide for us. And when we ask for God to provide for us, there's this little phrase in the Lord's Prayer, our daily bread, give us today our daily bread. That's what we're talking about here, right? God gives that to us willingly and freely, not begrudgingly like we have to strong arm Him into giving it to us. And not because we've earned it, but just because of his good fatherly heart toward his children. And as our Heavenly Father, God gives us laws. Like a good parent who sets up boundaries for their kids, delineating what is off limits and what is not, God gives us a moral law to live by, perfectly summarized in the Ten Commandments, but even more succinctly by Jesus in Luke 10. 27, when he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You see, God's law is actually a loving and gracious thing. We can say it like this, love and law are not opposed. Law and love are not opposed. Sometimes we think of it this way, as Love is just this kind of licentiousness that allows for any kind of freedom. Like love means permissiveness and law is meant to repress us, but that's not actually true. 
I mean, the fact that God teaches us the right way to live, a way that leads to our flourishing and well-being, a way that is truly best for us and points out the path of life, like, that's a gracious thing. That's partly why King David, when he writes in Psalm 19, he talks about God's law being sweeter than honey. I don't know about you, but when I think about God's law, honey not the first metaphor that comes to mind. Isn't that interesting, though? He can talk about it that way. In that sense, the law is a blessing. He gives it out of love. But here's the funny thing about the law. It's also a curse because it reveals our inability to obey it. It reveals that we can't actually keep the commandments And that's, by the way, not a defect with the law. It's not a problem with the law. That's a defect with us. The law is doing what it's supposed to do. The problem is with our hearts that abuse the law. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So what does God do when we fall short? When we fail to obey, does He shame us? Does He rub our nose in it? Does He leave us alone to face the consequences of our actions? Well, no. At great cost to Himself, He sends His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, so that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. He forgives us. He restores us. Like the merciful father in the parable of the prodigal son, he always sets an extra seat at the table in hopes that his wayward child will come home again. And when he sees us, finally, meandering down that path, carrying sins too heavy for us to bear, our failures as fathers, mothers, Sons and daughters, our our failure to be the stellar parents we always hoped we would. When he sees us there in that state, he sprints headlong down the driveway to us. He kisses us. He puts a ring on our finger, wraps us in a new cloak, kills the fattened calf, cranks up the music, and throws the party of a lifetime. Why? Why? Because this son of mine, who was dead, is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. See, not for a moment in all of our sinfulness did he forget about us. God is anything but a a passive parent. And because he is loving, he disciplines us. He doesn't punish us, but He disciplines us. He doesn't shy away from having the tough conversations with us, but instead sends us His Holy Spirit to work through the Word to convict us of our sin. Right? And to bring us to repentance, telling us things maybe we didn't want to hear, but we still really, really needed to hear. He doesn't seek to avoid conflict, but willingly enters into it. 
knowing that His love will be enough to sustain the relationship and that our love for Him can even grow as this happens. And He forgives us. See, at the cross, He cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. Look at a map, you'll see that's pretty far. None of the skeletons in our closet get to define us anymore because we are new creations in Christ, because He has declared it to be so. We are not defined by how good or bad of parents we are, but by God's love for us, because our ultimate identity is based not on our performance, but on Christ's perfect performance on our behalf. And perhaps most crucially, God stays in relationship with us through it all. No matter what, He refuses to abandon His children because nothing, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? He won't let our sins come between Him and us. So, to bring it down to earth, what does all this mean for you and me? Well, it means we can have the hard conversations with our kids because God's love is strong enough to hold us together and even to strengthen those bonds. It means we can and should discipline our kids because the law is a good and necessary thing and God provides boundaries for our benefit. It means we can make space for grace knowing that only the gospel, not the law, can transform our hearts for the better. And we can strive to stay in relationship with our kids, no matter what, like our good father did for his prodigal child. Tune in next week when we will continue our Broken Heroes series by looking at Absalom's gossip. Let's pray.